A break in the Kitsilano hit-and-run case. The Vancouver Police Department investigators were able to arrest the driver and an accomplice. Two suspects arrested and why cases like this are so difficult to prosecute. The evidence in the Amanda Todd trial. Yes, it's hard, but it's, it's needed. New photos that show what investigators found in a cabin linked to the accused. And broken cars waiting for parts. For what, like four months now? The global shortage that means a lot of vehicles are stuck in the shop. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Less than 24 hours after a driver killed a pedestrian in Kitsilano and took off, police say they have made two arrests. Officers believe they found the driver and also have a family member in custody. As Krista Dow reports, after police appealed for help, tips came pouring in. This surveillance video shows the moment of impact of a hit and run that left a young man dead late Sunday night. Police had been searching for the driver, and after a significant number of tips from the public, two people were arrested Monday afternoon. A 25-year-old man believed to be the driver and a 63-year-old relative. That he's a 25-year-old man who does live in Vancouver. Uh, we also arrested a person who uh, is a family member who we are investigating um, as possibly being an accomplice after the fact. The driver of the vehicle seen taking off on West 4th near Arbutus. His name hasn't been released because no charges have been laid. Police say they continue to gather information. Even though we've made an arrest, uh, so we'll continue to uh, gather our evidence and present our evidence to Crown. And while there is no audio here, those who were there that night say the chilling sound is one they won't soon forget. It was so loud. I At first I thought that a car had driven into a building. Like I still hear it in my head. It was so loud. Um, Investigators are still working to determine how fast the driver was going, what color the lights were, and who had the right of way. The police in this case have the vehicle. Uh, they know who the owner of the vehicle is. Putting a driver behind, uh, again, is something that is extremely difficult for investigators. The prosecution likely won't lay a charge until that investigation is complete uh, and basically gift wrap for them. Police haven't released the 24-year-old victim's name but say he lived nearby. International media is reporting he was from Ireland. Um, he does have family overseas, um, Ireland. Um, they are uh, making their way here now um, and will work to support them. For now, this small memorial serves as a painful reminder of the loss of life. Krista Dow, Global News. And Abbotsford police are appealing for information about a hit and run in their city. It happened on June 8th at 11 a.m. in the area of Clearbrook Road and Hillcrest Avenue. A 75-year-old man was on a scooter northbound on Clearbrook Road when police say a black SUV struck him. The driver took off. The victim was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Anyone with information about the suspect vehicle or who may have dash cam video is asked to contact Abbotsford police. We are now getting our first look at some of the extensive evidence seized in this extortion trial of Aidan Coban. It was found when Dutch police searched a bungalow in the Netherlands where the man accused of the online harassment of BC teen Amanda Todd was arrested. 
As Romina Dea reports, the testimony tied Amanda's name to the evidence. A seismic amount of evidence seized from Bungalow 55, where Dutch citizen, 44-year-old Aidan Coban, was arrested January 13, 2014. Testimony about the contents of a specific hard drive, a pivotal moment for Amanda Todd's mother. For me, it was relief that we finally tied in Amanda's name with the accused, with this trial, with the evidence and all the testimony that's been happening. Dutch digital detective Frank Vandermolen, who works with the child exploitation team, told the jury he analyzed copies of eight hard drives seized by police, including a 320-gigabyte Hitachi, which housed a video playlist of 1,383 files, the name Amanda Todd appearing multiple times. Under cross-examination, Vandermolen clarified no videos of Amanda Todd were found on the Hitachi hard drive or any of the other devices he analyzed. Parts of it's moving slowly, but there's so much information out there that it's okay for it to be slow, it's okay for it to be repetitious, because there's so many things we have to understand, and there's so many things that the jurors have to understand. Vandermolen told the jury he examined another hard drive containing programs enabling a user to disguise their voice and image. Identity, that is the crux of this case. Crown says Coban is behind 22 fake online user accounts used to sexually blackmail 15-year-old Amanda Todd. Defense says there must be proof beyond a reasonable doubt who is behind the online extortion. Forensic copies of the hard drives were ultimately sent to the RCMP. Amanda's mother knows cyber exploitation cases are tough to prove, but she says it's important they go to trial. Story Amanda's case will is is precedent setting. It's it's going to change the the landscape that we see. Romina Dea, Global News. Charges have now been laid in a series of Metro Vancouver sex assaults. The incidents happened over a three-day period between March 31st to April 2nd. 27-year-old Hayden McCorriston is now charged with 11 counts of sexual assault in connection to groping incidents in the metro town area and additional sex assaults in Vancouver. Police say McCorriston, who remains in custody, has an extensive criminal history but is not known to have committed these types of offences in the past. What's important to know is that these sex assaults that happened in Burnaby involved women being grabbed or slapped in the buttocks. Uh, and this carried on through Burnaby and Vancouver via uh, the SkyTrain and then continued into Vancouver. Defense lawyers for an Oak Bay father convicted of killing his two daughters continue the, to do their appeal today. The hearing comes nearly three years after Andrew Barry was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Grace Key reports. Some of the arguments heard today deal with the trial judge's instructions to the jury and inferences made. Andrew Barry's legal counsel is saying that Crown used Barry's silence while detained at the hospital after the stabbings as a way to discredit him. Essentially, if he was innocent, then he wouldn't be silent. Counsel saying it was a prejudice that was built up throughout the jury trial, calling it an ambush strategy by Crown. 
His counsel saying the trial judge told the jury that his silence was not relevant, but that she should have given more detailed, stronger instructions. Jurors also heard Barry say, kill me, to first responders. His counsel argues the trial judge did not give any instruction to jurors on what inferences can and cannot be drawn from those statements. Andrew Barry was found guilty of second-degree murder in the deaths of his two daughters, six-year-old Chloe and four-year-old Aubrey. They were stabbed to death on Christmas Day 2017 at Barry's Oak Bay apartment. Barry was found in the bathtub with stab wounds. He was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 22 years. Late this afternoon, Crown did provide an outline of its arguments. They will continue tomorrow, and the hearing will be wrapping up on Thursday. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Well, the TSB has released its report into a dramatic rescue in English Bay that saw two people saved from a sinking lifeboat. On December 1st of 2020, a bulk carrier was conducting a drill when the lifeboat with two crew members on board unexpectedly released, dropping 14 meters. The crew members were seriously hurt and the lifeboat started taking on water. Fortunately, help arrived within 10 minutes. The stricken vessel was towed to shore and the injured crew members were rushed to hospital in serious condition. In its report, the Transportation Safety Board says the lifeboat's sling was improperly secured and the hardware holding it up had weakened over time, leading to the break. If you have a ferry reservation on, on the Queen of New Westminster in the next week, check with BC Ferries to make sure your sailing isn't cancelled. Staffing shortages on the vessel means several sailings between tomorrow and next Thursday won't run. In total, 38 sailings have been cancelled on the Tawasson to Swartz Bay route. BC Ferries says it needs a specific number of crew members on board to comply with Transport Canada regulations and keep passengers safe. If you have a booking on one of the affected sailings, BC Ferries will reach out to you to discuss your options. The corporation has now canceled its mandatory vaccination policy and the company is reaching out to 150 employees currently on leave without pay to find out if they plan to return to work. The provincial government is taking steps to ease the family doctor shortage in B.C., introducing a number of financial perks to entice new physicians to set up practice here. But as Richard Zussman reports, not everyone is thrilled with the new incentive program. An offer for new doctors. We want uh, more people, to um, young doctors, to join full-service family practice. As the family doctor crisis grows in B.C., the government is attempting to keep some young doctors here. About 175 doctors are being offered a $25,000 signing bonus, as much as $130,000 in loan forgiveness, and a nearly $300,000 per year new-to-practice contract. The deal contingent on doctors signing on by September and operating a family practice in the province. It's not a resolution of all the problems, but it shows our determination to address these issues. The big problem is right now nearly 900,000 British Columbians are in need of a family doctor. This incentive is available to both Canadian and international medical graduates. But when the offer came, it was a surprise even to residents. Family doctors would tell you that this particular initiative in and of itself is not going to make any difference whatsoever. Uh, this is not even at the top, of, anywhere near the top of the list of solutions that they've proposed. The province is currently negotiating with the doctors of BC in terms of addressing overall issues in the system. And one doctor says this offer to residents actually could hurt new doctors. 
is even if you get people to sign these new to practice contracts, once the term of the contract is up, I don't think they're going to stay in community family medicine in BC until we address the factors that are driving people to leave practice as it is now, you know, the, the burgeoning overhead and the and the drivers of burnout and the inequitable compensation that we're all dealing with. The contract offer doesn't address various core issues, not just facing new doctors, but anyone right up until retirement, including calls for a revamped pay structure. You know, there may be a bit of a lack of trust, but I, I hope that we can still redeem it and we can all work together to come up with urgent solutions, which is maybe what we need now to, to you know, stop the problem getting worse. But we also need a coordinated long-term approach. The province has met with the doctors of BC numerous different times over the last few months. But what is clear, even with this contract offer, there's more conversations needed to cure this growing problem. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And we'll bring in Keith Baldry right now for more on this issue. The shortages across health care go far beyond just family doctors, Keith. Yeah, you know, there's shortages everywhere, whether you work in restaurants, BC, ferries, family doctors, but there are other health professionals also where we're seeing shortages. As a result, the last couple of years have seen a, sort of a frantic uh, plugging of the holes in the dike to fill uh, people retiring uh, and leaving the profession. And here are the numbers over the last two years. April to April, we've hired 1,151 perioperative nurses, uh, more than 800 medical device technicians, more on that in a moment, 131 anesthesiologists and 99 surgeons. So you can go through the list. I just picked four out of many where people are retiring in record numbers or leaving the profession, burning out, and the real uh, pressure is on to stop fill those gaps. Now, look in the weeks ahead back to those technicians. There is a looming shortage of people who operate medical devices uh, and also physiotherapists and such. People who operate MRI machines, x-ray machines. Look for an announcement for the government in the weeks ahead to provide more incentives to young people to go into university and come out of there with the skills required to operate those medical devices. Again, shortages are everywhere and me the medical system is certainly no exception. Lots of holes to fill. Thanks very much, Keith. Appreciate it. All right. Major construction projects missing a key ingredient. The labor dispute causing a concrete shortage and how it's delaying a lot of work. That's next on the News Hour. A BC diver goes deep to honor an Indigenous sailor who chose a very special final resting place. Coming up on the News Hour. And sharing a celebration of Indigenous music, dancing, and art. That's all coming up later, too. Right now, though, you might not have heard much about it yet, but a month-long labor dispute is hitting the very foundation of Metro Vancouver's construction industry. Quite literally, as Aaron MacArthur reports, a walkout by 300 workers has stalled many projects. The excavator is moving dirt, but for now, this is the end of the construction of a new home in Burnaby. There is no concrete available to pour the foundation. The builder forced to idle his crews while they wait for material. Without concrete, we're dead in the water. We can't start. About 160 employees at Rempel Brothers Concrete are on strike, but unionized workers at Ocean Concrete and Allied are honoring the picket lines. The three operations spread over 12 plants provide more than a third of the concrete used in Metro Vancouver. Without it, hundreds of projects around the region have been delayed or simply not started. My foundation contractors are not coming. I have no forms, damp proofing, services, backfill, 
my excavation contractor can't dig the next two, my framer's not coming, we're not delivering lumber and windows, and the ripple effect is huge. Through the first month of the strike, large construction sites have been sucking up most of the semi-liquid gold. But now even that supply is running out, materials used to make concrete becoming hard to source. The three suppliers, all owned by Texas conglomerate Lehigh Hansen, which didn't respond to a request for information. But the Teamsters say contract talks are back on this week with a mediator at the table. This can't be resolved. The consequences are significant. They have to be uh, looked at and they have to be taken seriously. Even if the strike ended tomorrow, the backlog in the industry wouldn't clear up for months. Every day the strike drags on, making housing unaffordability worse. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, car part purgatory. If they don't have the specific model that we need, then we're out of luck. The global shortage that could keep your vehicle in the garage a lot longer. Also ahead, why truckers are willing to strike in a move that could, could cut the supply chain even further. Still seeing plenty of extra traffic here southbound on Highway 99 through Delta towards the 91 interchange after clearing a three-car crash that was in the right lane. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $60 million, plus an estimated eight Max Millions Lotto Max Dream to the Max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. A group of Port of Vancouver truckers claims new environmental rules, which kick in less than three months from now, will create new supply chain delays. Amaragahi is live with more on the plan to phase out older trucks, which they say are more polluting. And Ahmad, some drivers are really angry and threatening job action. Uh, that's right. We just stepped out of a press conference held by the United Truckers Association. The concern here is for small-time trucking operators who are tasked with replacing their aging fleets. So our truck is uh, get uh, inspected by a, a certified repair shop every six months. To Parminder Brar, his truck is pristine. A lot of maintenance goes into it as well. And perfectly capable of doing the important work it was built for, for many years to come. But according to Port, it's not good enough. He is one of hundreds of local truckers opposing new rules coming down in September. When the Port of Vancouver will launch its rolling truck age program. The Port Authority ready to phase out container trucks older than 12 years, forcing trucking companies to replace their fleets with newer, lower emission trucks that it says must meet environmental requirements. We gave industry ample time to prepare. And over the last three years, uh, specifically, over 1,250 trucks have been added to the fleet that are compliant. 80% of the approximately 1,800 vehicles serving the port are already in compliance. The port also saying that the trucks it is most concerned with are older models without diesel particulate filters. We'll see a reduction of 37 tons of particulate matter from the lower mainland's airshed uh, by these changes that we're making right now, which is the equivalent to removing 200,000 passenger vehicles from the road 
on an annual basis. But the change won't be easy for those behind the wheel who in some instances have to finance new trucks or take a shot in a very competitive secondhand market. Some people haven't made enough money in the past due to the COVID restriction and so many other stuff. If we see the interest rate, it's on top of that. If you go to buy a new truck, it costs more than 250000 Tuesday, the United Truckers Association warned of a looming strike vote next month, saying a work stoppage by its members could impact the supply chain. With the potential to take some drivers off the road. Definitely a lot of people are going to be out of jobs. They have to look jobs somewhere else. Basically, they're taking food off our table, so I won't be able to feed my family. So that looming work stoppage vote is scheduled for July 1st. Now, I did hear from the port today that there will be an exception process in place for uh, vehicles that have top-of-the-line environmental upgrades uh, added to them, and that may give these drivers an extra one, two, or three years to make the change. Some of those drivers obviously pretty proud of their trucks and keeping them in, in good working order. Okay, thanks very much for that, Ahmad. Ahmad Agahi reporting live for us tonight. Okay, we already know there's a big backup to buy new and used cars these days. Now it turns out there's also a global shortage of car parts. And that means if your vehicle needs repairing, you might have to wait months to get it fixed. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on the greater impact. And Thanks, Sophie. A global shortage of auto parts is causing headaches for consumers and repair shops. The issue started months ago and it continues. In some cases, auto body shops are waiting over half a year for some parts to come in. So this car was towed to us in March. Uh, been waiting for parts for what, like four months now? At Penny Auto Body in Glass in Vancouver, the ripple effect of supply chain disruptions continues to have a significant impact on business. At issue, a shortage of vehicle parts. Some cars sitting here for months before they can get back on the road. The customer came in last October for a rear end damage. Then obviously we needed a new tailgate. We had to order a tailgate. We found out the tailgate is back order from Honda. And then we waited, what, six, six months? to get the part in, and then now it's just getting the repair done. Daryl Coe is a repair process advisor and handles insurance claims. He says he hasn't seen a shortage like this in his eight years of working here. Before, we used to get cars done in like one week, two weeks, three weeks max if we have to parts back order, but now we've seen cars sit here since like January, waiting six months, eight months for parts. The temporary closure of production plants, microchip shortages and shipping delays all contributing to wait times when it comes to repairs and the aftermarket isn't much better. The part shortage problem is affecting uh, large areas of the aftermarket. It's a bit like an iceberg. Consumers don't see all of it. Of course, you're aware of it when you're waiting for parts for your own car, but you don't see the impacts on the supply chain. And body repair shops are taking the brunt of it. In some cases, insurance companies don't pay them in full until the last part goes on the vehicle. With most insurance companies, they will pay for what we have done. And uh, for those parts that are being, um, that are back ordered, we can uh, generate a separate claim so we can get paid on that on a future date. Also adding a dent to the bottom line, the lack of turnover. 
Body shop owner Morris King says under normal conditions, his business could handle working on 50 vehicles a week. Now it's around 40. Some of the cars are stuck here or stuck in the bay where we cannot move it out, so we can't get another car in. And there's no quick fix anytime soon. The vehicle parts shortage expected to last well into 2023. Just try not to get in an accident because uh, if you need parts for your car, that's going to be a tough one. So what happens if a part won't be available for months and you can't drive your vehicle? Will ICBC cover the cost of a rental vehicle? ICBC told us if an ICBC customer is not responsible for a crash that happened in BC, they're entitled to loss of use through ICBC basic coverage and there is no time limit on that coverage. If the customer is responsible for a crash, they need coverage such as Roadstar, Roadside Plus or loss of use and the limits would depend on the coverage they purchased. In some cases, the length of part delay may impact the decision to repair or write off a vehicle depending on cost efficiency. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thank you. Coming up, celebrating National Indigenous Peoples Day. Sharing cultures and hope for reconciliation. And the feds promised billions to help maintain your mental health. So why has none of it been paid out yet? delays here tonight for northbound traffic on the 91A to the Queensboro Bridge for no good reason. It's just slow from the pedestrian overpass right to the north end. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $60 million plus an estimated eight max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Celebrations are being held in B.C. and across the country today to mark National Indigenous Peoples Day. And one of the bigger events is at Holland Park in Surrey, and that's where we find our Jasmine Bala tonight. Jasmine? Yeah, it's been a busy, lively day down here in Surrey. It's been raining on and off, but that hasn't stopped hundreds of people from coming out to enjoy the event. Many of them telling us that today is about celebration and reflection. The Salish Thunderbirds taking the stage, showing off their culture on this National Indigenous Peoples Day. We're still practicing and, and engaged in our cultural ways. Events to mark the day across the Lower Mainland in Burnaby, Surrey, Vancouver. It's about celebrating and sharing Indigenous culture and a moment for people to listen and learn. Sharing it with non-Indigenous so that they understand that we do have customs and culture and there's a lot more to it than what is shared in schools. It's about getting back lost culture. And then we have the sun, the moon. Jay Graining has only been making art since February, learning more about his heritage as he goes. All these different um, people here today, they come from different uh, nations and they have different traditions, different art. Uh, mine is, you know, in, in Saskatchewan and a lot of that was lost too. Uh, you know, through residential schools. For this Squamish Nation elder, it's a time to reflect. In school, we did not learn about our people. We learned about French and English history. At the site of St. Paul's Indian Residential School in North Vancouver, the names of 500 children that went there. Coltsia was one of them. It's good that uh, there is more being said 
about these schools and about what happened to the children there so that the rest of Canada can know that in Canada there was uh, these terrible things being done to our people. But she says the progress made is a reason to celebrate. So uh, now we are being recognized, and so I feel good about that. And being able to share their culture through dance, stories, and song is part of that. It's definitely changing. Things are changing. Now, it's not over yet. As you can hear, it's still going. There's still lots to, to be, to, lots of fun to be had. So if you haven't had a chance to come down, you still can. It runs until 8 p.m. tonight. Back to you. Looks like a great crowd. Thank you, Jasmine. It was a marquee promise by the Liberals in the 2021 election. $4.5 billion over five years to help provinces bolster access to mental health treatment. Almost a year since Justin Trudeau says it was a priority. None of the money has flowed from Ottawa's coffers. Global News health reporter Jamie Marocker has more. Five years ago, Leanne Manichillo was afraid her mental state would lose her custody of her then four-year-old daughter. I was feeling terrible. I mean, I had suicidal thoughts and everything. She eventually gained access to therapy thanks to a neighborhood connection with the cost covered by the Ontario Provincial Health Plan. The now 45-year-old was diagnosed with ADHD and borderline personality disorder. I'm not the norm. I think about the children. I think about the parents and people who aren't able to get this help. The mental health should be a priority. Despite Justin Trudeau's sense of urgency in August of 2021, no money has materialized for Canada's $4.5 billion mental health transfer, including the initial $875 million supposed to have been spent or budgeted by now, according to the Liberals' party election platform. We knew going into 2020 that the mental health system wasn't equipped to deal with the strain that was was on it prior to the pandemic and now has only become much worse. The platform promised that money to have been spent right now. So that was a mistake. Last week, federal mental health and addictions minister Carolyn Bennett faced tough questions about the promise. There were concerns that the five billion dollars in the bilateral agreements wasn't transparent and accountable for the money that was being spent. In March, Ottawa announced $45 million to develop national standards. In an email to Global News, Bennett said these national standards will formalize what Canadians can expect in terms of timeliness and quality of mental health services, adding the government says it is committed to establishing a permanent program. But advocates worry it's a delay tactic, and Minicello is concerned any more delays will cause further harm. Jamie Marocker, Global News. Coming up, an underwater tribute to a local sailor. I also wanted to pay my respect, my respects to seaman Raymond Good. The diver and avid historian maintaining the sunken memorial and his new friendship with the sailor's family. And it hasn't been a stellar season for the Whitecaps, but coming up in sports, the one goal they're not giving up on. Attention. Need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. Our bar for is the weather okay? It should go 
to how many layers you're wearing. And it seems like I've been wearing a lot of layers. <laughs> right. June. Maybe we should change this to the summer coldstice because that's what it's been so far. <laughs> I know. It's hard to believe today is the longest day of the year, you mm -hmm. guys. It doesn't feel like it, that's for sure. I have my lights on bright because that's how dark it is with the clouds around here. Um, uh, welcome to summer, everyone. I know it's, a, it's been a tough go, but we do have summer-like weather on the way. As Chris mentioned, you'll be able to take off the layers and enjoy some heat. But it comes with a concern. Let me uh, show you. I'm going to show you the upgrades to the uh, BC River Forecast Center concerns. But quickly, the radar imagery right now still showing a number of showers around. Tomorrow's our transition day, so we just have a chance of showers tomorrow morning for the south coast, and then we're in the clear for several days. So, the upgrades are the Columbia Kootenai, or so the Columbia area now under a high stream flow advisory as well. All of the Thompson area is under a flood watch. Quinell River area as well. The flood watch are the re regions where we have the potential for major flooding. The other areas in yellow, we do not have the potential at this point, but we're watching those areas. It's just minor flooding at this point. Nachaco area has also been increased to a high stream flow advisory at this time. Here's the reason why. Widespread rainfall across the region today. Now this system will impact us tomorrow as well, but it becomes much more spotty and that's a concern because it's those isolated pockets with thunderstorms that can bring intense rain. And then beyond that, this gorgeous ridge of high pressure that I know a lot of you are looking forward to, but with temperatures into the 30s, we're going to see a surge in that snow melt. So we'll be tracking things really closely in the next couple of days. Make sure you stay tuned. In the meantime, tomorrow, spotty precipitation, heavy at times, risk of thunderstorms in the interior. For the south coast, it's just a chance of showers in the morning, drying trend with clearing in the afternoon, and then that clearing lasts until the early part of next week. So we're talking about the longest, biggest stretch of sunny weather that we've had so far this year. It is going to feel like summer. It's going to be like we went from winter straight into summer, really, uh, over the next couple of days. All right, tonight's center windows weather window coming to you from last night in the Cash Creek area. Melissa sharing this double rainbow, a double full rainbow. Gorgeous shot. Thanks to Melissa Martin. Oh, there's the double. Uh, Squire just walked in here, Christy, and said, is it summer today? <laughs> it's, it's like there was no spring. Believe it or not. It's like somebody absconded mm -hmm. with the spring. Yeah, well, it's okay because, you know, hopefully that means a better fire season ahead mm -hmm. lots of reasons mm -hmm. to want a gradual heat up exactly yeah doesn't exactly sound like what we're getting okay. but uh okay. we'll take the sunshine when it comes you've made me feel so much better <laughs> appreciate that the uh white cats play the uh, semi-finals of the canadian soccer championship tomorrow night at bc place some might not think that's as big a deal as the mls playoffs but the white cats still want to get to the finals of this I think winning a trophy is, is something every team wants to do, no matter what the trophy is. It's been a while since the Whitecaps have won the Canadian Championship, not since 2015. And if they do make the final, it will be at BC Place. Also tonight, the BC Diver preserving a unique undersea memorial and how he has a personal connection to it.
Y'all set, Squire? Yes, I am. Can you see? <laughs> He's yep. going to read his scripts upside down tonight. <laughs> well, my writing is kind of like that anyway. Yeah, that's true. true. Obviously, the ultimate goal of the Vancouver Whitecaps is to win the MLS Cup. That's dream number one. But there is another trophy they can win. That's the Canadian Championship, which includes MLS and Canadian Premier League teams. And tomorrow night... At BC Place, the Whitecaps will host York United of the CPL in a semifinal game of the Canadian Championship. Now, Vancouver has not made the Canadian final since 2018. They haven't won it since 2015. Only one player remains from the Whitecaps Canadian Championship winning team. I remember all those emotions that went into it. I don't even know how many years ago it is now. It's going to, yeah, it's going to age me, but it's, uh, you know, it was it was a it was a good feeling back then, and and you know, I, you know, still that's one of my top moments being here at the club, and I think it would be a beautiful thing to do that again. It was seven years ago when Russell Tybert hoisted the Voyagers Cup at BC Place after defeating Montreal in the final. It's the only major trophy won by the club since entering MLS in 2011, and Coach Vanny Sartini has made it clear that winning the Canadian Championship is a priority. We're not Real Madrid that we win a trophy every year. So when there's the possibility to 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 win something, that's the reason why it's so important. It's, again, it's the most important game of the year so far. Now they're one win away from hosting the final at BC Place. York United FC stand in their way and the Caps are being careful not to overlook the CPL side. We saw in Calgary how hard it is, uh, is to beat a CPL team sometimes. So we try, we need to do... The same, I would say, job that we did against Valor here at home. So try to really dominate the game from the start and, uh, and uh, hopefully didn't, don't give them any little chance to win the game. So. Uh, we're going to have to work hard and stay organized and pick and choose our moments. Um, you know, it's not going to be an easy task, but uh, the, i got a bunch of players in this group that just give you everything. And when a team works as hard as we do and, and, and the players give you everything, you always got a chance. And there's no doubt that the man who won the cup with the Caps in 2015 wants a chance at it again. He scored against Valor and is coming off one of his best games of the year, helping the Caps earn a clean sheet in a road win against Dallas. So while Tybert may be seven years older, the engine of the White Caps midfield still has the same drive to win. Uh, you want to be able to, to celebrate with your organization, celebrate with your fan base. Uh, and who doesn't want to win? I wanted to win at recess as a kid. I still want to win now. The big NHL awards, at least the ones this side of the Stanley Cup and the Conn Smythe were handed out tonight. And the Leafs get to lift a couple of trophies. Not the one they want, but they do get some trophies. Austin Matthews won both the Hart and the Ted Lindsay as the MVP outstanding player. The Hart is voted on by the media, the Lindsay by the player. So you can see that sometimes the media and the players see eye to eye. Colorado's Kale McCarr is the outstanding defenseman. A lot of people thought Roman Yossi might win that, but I think McCarr is a very good choice. Igor Shosturkin, no surprise, top goalie. He was also in the running for MVP. Moritz Sider, a defenseman for the Red Wings who was drafted sixth overall in 2019, is the rookie of the year. Tampa head coach John Cooper says he thinks Nikita Kucherov will play tomorrow despite having this happen to him last night. The Lightning were upset with the hit, but the Avs point out just minutes before... Kucherov got away with this dangerous hit. So they didn't say they evened things up, but they wanted to point that out. Uh, This year, well, this past year, when NHL teams needed a new coach, they simply go to the blue box and recycle. 
Pete DeBoer is the latest to be put back in circulation after being dumped by Vegas. He is signed on to coach with the Dallas Stars next season. They had an opening because Rick Bonus packed it in. This will be DeBoer's fourth NHL head coaching job. He also ran the benches for the Sharks and the Devils. Also, the Oilers gave their head coach, Jay Woodcroft, a three-year contract extension. And for the second time in three years, Tampa Bay tight end Rob Gronkowski has announced he's retiring from the NFL. Now, he did this in 2019 from the Patriots. Then he came back to play with Tom Brady in Tampa. He's played 11 NFL seasons and won four Super Bowls, all with his buddy Tom throwing the ball to him. Jays and White Sox tonight in Chicago. The South Side uniform. I guess they're okay. Adam Engel scoring A.J. Pollock to make it 1-0 for Chicago. They have now added to that 2-0 in the fifth over the Blue Jays. Brooks Kepka is the latest star golfer to switch from the PGA to the Live Series. Now, this is rumored. It's not official, but they are good sources. And that would uh, give them another big name. And, of course, they play, they pay make that big players up front to join the tour, which only has eight events. Kepka is ranked 19th in the world right now. The man who is ranked 20th, Abraham Anser, is also expected to join the Live Tour, which has a tournament in Oregon coming up on June 30th. The PGA is apparently thinking of changing its schedule now to give top-rated players some big-money, no-cut events as well, like the Live Series is offering its players. This is getting more and more interesting Mm -hmm. as time goes along. There you go. A little pressure sometimes helps push Well, when you Well, when someone gets offered 200 mil, like Mickelson, Mm Mm-hmm. Hard to say no, I guess. It's more golf for all of us to watch, really, isn't it? Really? And that's, <laughs> that's a good way. That is a good way to look best. at it. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Squire. Yeah. Up next, the sunken ship that's brought two families together, even though they have never met. This is BC with Jay Durant, is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Sarah McDonald is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Sarah? Well, if you're one of the many British Columbians languishing in for a passport, you will want to catch this story tonight. TikTok, let me show you how I was able to get my Canadian passport in about two and a half hours. Yep, the local woman who flew to Alberta to skip the lines here at home, and it worked, costing her a few hours of her time and less than a few hundred bucks. We have a full interview with her tonight. Plus, we are keeping an eye on the rising flood risk right across the province with rain on the way. That is all coming up at 11. Chris Soph. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Sarah. Well, when the destroyer HMCS Saskatchewan was sunk to create an artificial reef near Nanaimo, it carried special cargo, the remains of a man who had served on that ship. And it was the son of another sailor, a diver, who's made it his mission to care for the memorial. As Jay Durant shows us on This is BC, it's become a bond between the two families. Bob McCauley's gearing up for another dive to HMCS Saskatchewan. His father once served on this ship. Three kilometers off Nanaimo, 100 feet below the surface, it's the final resting place of another sailor who served on the 262. His name was uh, Seaman Raymond Good. Good spent three years in the Royal Canadian Navy. He died in 1995 of complications following a heart attack. My brother's wife asked uh, what he wanted done with his ashes. He said, you'll know when that day comes. The Artificial Reef Society of BC has sunk a number of old ships. Arrangements were made to place Raymond Good's urn aboard HMCS Saskatchewan before it went down in 1997. Every dive, Macaulay tends to his memorial. 
For years, I had been cleaning up the plaque, scraping off the marine life that had made it almost unreadable. Good's family saw pictures he posted online and contacted Macaulay to say thanks. I told my mother about this guy who's uh, doing what Bob was doing, and she was pretty touched that somebody was uh, looking after her son. They've yet to meet, but are connected through this ship. Bob's dad once took him for a tour. He showed me a place where he had written his name on the wall in the radio room. Raymond took Barry on board when he was just 12. And I thought that day that he owned that ship was one of the happiest days of my life. But it was too hard to be there that June day 25 years ago. I didn't want to see it go down and I didn't really want to see him go down with it. One day Barry will meet up with Bob in Nanaimo. So I'm thinking that we should make Bob one of, uh, one of us, you know? He'd like to finally travel to the site and maybe even dive down to say goodbye to his brother. I still still miss him a lot. Said I still haven't really let him go. And maybe he'll come out on the boat uh, right to this spot so he can be above his brother's memorial. Jay Durant, Global News. Very cool. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc@globalnews.ca. All right. Uh, it is the first day of summer, so um, but don't be alarmed because it will start to feel like summer mm -hmm. very shortly, Christy. You're exactly right, and, and it'll be the biggest stretch of sunny, hot weather that we've seen so far this year. You're not going to know what hit you. Uh, at least, though, it's not looking at record-breaking heat. We don't want that, but it's certainly going to be enough heat that it could cause some problems for the flood scenario. So stay tuned and enjoy the sunshine. Will do. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks, everyone, for watching. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.